Welcome to Transformed by Grace, an in-depth Bible study of God's Word, presented by the Berean Bible Society. Join us each time on this station as Pastor Kevin brings the transforming message of God's grace revealed through the Holy Scriptures. Josh McDowell wrote the following, People refuse to believe that which they don't want to believe, in spite of evidence. When explorers first went to Australia, they found a mammal which laid eggs, spent some time in water, some on land, had a broad, flat tail, webbed feet, and a bill similar to a duck. Upon their return to England, they told the populace of this, and all felt it was a hoax. They returned to Australia and found a pelt from this animal and took it back to England, but the people still felt that it was a hoax. It was a platypus. But in spite of the evidence, they disbelieved because they didn't want to believe. This kind of unbelief is what Stephen faced standing before the ruling body of religious leaders in Acts chapter 7. In the power and wisdom of the Holy Spirit, Stephen had given them a powerful discourse on the history of Israel. He had demonstrated from her past how Israel's deliverers, such as Joseph and Moses, had at first been rejected, but then they were accepted the second time. He had reminded them how Moses spoke of another prophet that would come, like Moses, who would speak the words of God and that they should hear him. He had unmistakably shown the hard-heartedness, rebellion, and unbelief of God's people in the past. Throughout the centuries, Israel had refused to submit to God and obey the truths he had revealed to them. Stephen was calling the Sanhedrin to repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ as their Messiah, Deliverer, and Savior. But like those in England with the platypus, in spite of all the evidence he laid before them. They disbelieved because they did not want to believe. Acts chapter 7, 51 to 53 reads, Ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, ye do always resist the Holy Ghost, as your fathers did, so do ye. Which of the prophets have not your fathers persecuted? And they have slain them, which showed before of the coming of the just one, of whom ye have been now the betrayers and murderers who have received the law by the disposition of angels and have not kept it. Stephen concluded his defense by accusing his accusers. They had leveled false charges against them, but now he brought more serious and true charges against them. Stephen suddenly ceases his retrospect of Israel's past and his tone changes. Throughout the speech, tension had been building. Having laid the historical foundation, Stephen hits them with a devastating indictment. They were just like the fathers of Israel in the past. Stephen, according to chapter 6, verse 5, and verse 55 of this chapter, was full of the Holy Ghost. Stephen's words here were inspired and directly from God himself. Stephen was the mouthpiece of the judge who was pronouncing sentence on these men. Stephen says they were stiff-necked, 
And this descriptive term was God's characterization of the nation when it rebelled against Moses and created and worshipped the golden calf. Exodus 32.9 reads, And the Lord said unto Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Stiff-necked is a figurative expression from biblical times taken from oxen that were obstinate and headstrong and would not submit to be yoked. Applied to the men on the Sanhedrin, Stephen meant that they were stubborn and self-willed. They had stiffened their necks and refused to bow and submit to God. Stephen says they were uncircumcised in heart and ears. Their necks would not bow to the truth, their hearts would not receive the truth, and their ears would not hear the truth. They were spiritually hard-hearted and spiritually deaf. Stephen tells them that your fathers resisted the Holy Spirit in their stubborn unbelief, and that they were just like them, and were guilty of doing the same thing. As their fathers did, they opposed the message brought to them by the authority of God, and under the inspiration of His Spirit. In verse 52, he reminds them how in their resistance of the Holy Spirit, their forefathers persecuted and killed the prophets that God in His mercy sent unto the nation to call them back to God and back to His law. Which of your prophets have not your fathers persecuted, Stephen asks. In other words, they persecuted all of them. Israel confessed this to God in Nehemiah 9, 6. Nevertheless, they were disobedient and rebelled against thee and cast thy law behind their backs and slew thy prophets, which testified against them to turn them to thee. Their fathers resisted and persecuted God's messenger sent to them, even killing the prophets that prophesied of the coming of the just one, Stephen says, or the righteous one, the Messiah. And then Stephen levels the charge to the Sanhedrin that they were the ones personally responsible for the betrayal and murder of that just one, the Lord Jesus Christ. Their fathers had killed the prophets who spoke of the coming of the Messiah, and these men in front of Stephen had actually betrayed and murdered the Messiah. The Lord said in Matthew 23, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, and say, If we had been in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partakers with them in the blood of the prophets. But now they had done that, and they had done so much worse and gone even farther. Their fathers had murdered God's prophets. They had murdered God's son. And they were about to commit another murder of a man full of the Holy Spirit. Stephen had reminded them about Abraham earlier in his discourse. To get thee out, uh, is what Abraham was told. Abraham obeyed this command by God, courageously, by faith. And get thee out was in essence what Stephen was calling these Jewish leaders to do. Their only desire was to stay put, not move, keep things just as they were. They would not take that step of faith in God, of God calling them out of their traditions, out of their religion, and to trust that Jesus was the Christ, and to find everlasting life in Him. 
and get thee out is still what people often need to do because people get stuck in their religion. They get comfortable in their traditions, in their ritual. Under grace, we call people to get out and we call people to faith in Christ alone for salvation because people need to lose their religion to find their salvation. The Sanhedrin should have heard Stephen's message, which was reaching for their hearts, calling on them to repent of what they had done. But as we see, they tragically did not do so. We'll be returning to the program in just a minute. But first, we'd like to take this time to thank you, our partners, for making these programs possible. If you would like to access our library of helpful Bible study tools, go to BereanBibleSociety.org. Romans is a hardcover 452-page verse-by-verse commentary written by Pastor Cornelius R. Stamm. Paul's epistle to the Romans is one of the most profound, yet one of the most enlightening books of the Bible, indeed of all literature. Nowhere else in the Bible do we find the great doctrines of the Christian faith set forth so completely or systematically. Thus, we wholeheartedly agree with the statement, The Book of Romans is the Bible within the Bible. To order your copy, contact the Berean Bible Society for pricing and availability at 262-255-4750 or visit our website at www.bereanbiblesociety.org. To receive our free full-color 32-page monthly magazine, The Berean Searchlight, call 262-255-4750. Or subscribe online at www.bereanbiblesociety.org. Thank you again for your generous gifts. And now, back to the teaching with Pastor Kevin. Acts seven fifty four to 56 read, When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed on him with their teeth. But he, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God, and said, Behold, I see the heavens open, and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. The arrows of God's truth, carried by the Holy Spirit, found their mark, and they cut to the heart of the men on the Sanhedrin. Instead of changing their heart and mind, they responded with rage. The Greek word translated cut there literally means to saw through. And Stephen's sharp words of the Spirit was literally cutting them in half. Stephen's charges of them being stiff-necked, uncircumcised in heart and ears, guilty of resisting the Holy Spirit, guilty of murdering their Messiah. This convicted and highly offended the pride of the Sanhedrin. And his words were more than their guilty consciences could bear. They become infuriated and they retaliate fiercely. Verse 54 says they gnashed on him with their teeth, meaning that they were grinding their teeth in their rage. In their seething hatred, they cannot speak. And they're dumb. They can't say anything. They could not answer him. They can't even find the words to vent their fury, and so they just grind their teeth, and they're like a 
pack of hungry, snarling wolves. In front of this mob of enraged, snarling men stood Stephen, a man full of the Holy Spirit. And he's a picture of absolute peace in the middle of this turmoil around him. And that peace of God, through the Holy Spirit, Stephen looked up. And looking up, he gazed intently at what he was seeing, because God pulled back the curtain in this moment and allowed him to look into heaven. And seeing into heaven, it says that he saw the glory of God. And seeing the glory of God in heaven, he saw Jesus standing on the right hand of God. Stephen stands there, calmly focusing on what he was seeing, and then he narrates for all to hear what he was observing. Stephen was one of the few in Scripture blessed with a glimpse into heaven, joining the likes of Isaiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Paul, and John. Looking into heaven, Stephen saw the Shekinah glory that reveals God's glorious and awesome presence in heaven. Within that glory was Jesus standing on the right hand of God. Christ is seen by Stephen standing rather than sitting. Now Mark 16, 19 clearly says, So then after the Lord had spoken unto them, he was received up into heaven and sat on the right hand of God. Why is Christ standing and not sitting? Now, some have offered the explanation that the Lord was standing to show his concern for Stephen or to welcome Stephen home to heaven. But Stephen is seeing this before they take him out to stone him. What he sees is what enrages the Sanhedrin the most and causes them to take Stephen out of the city and to stone him. Christ's ascension to God's right hand under prophecy was about God's divine displeasure at the rejection of Christ, and it foretold the judgment that was coming that would be visited upon his enemies. Psalm 110, verse 1 reads, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. The Lord was invited to the Father's right hand, because he has enemies on the earth who will not have him. He was to remain seated with his Father at his right hand until the time when his enemies shall be made his footstool. Often in the Psalms you find the cry, Arise, O God, and Arise, O Lord. It is in connection with the judgment of God's enemies and the deliverance of the faithful remnant that we find the Lord standing in prophetic passages such as Psalm 7-6. Arise, O Lord, in thine anger. Lift up thyself because of the rage of mine enemies. Psalm 94-1 and 2. O Lord God, to whom vengeance belongeth. O God, to whom vengeance belongeth. Show thyself. Lift up thyself. Thou judge of the earth. Render a reward to the proud. Christ 
standing at the right hand of God was a sign of judgment, a sign of the righteous anger of God, a sign of the wrath that he was going to pour out against his enemies. The reason they were enraged by Stephen saying he saw the Jesus, the Son of Man, Israel's Messiah, standing on the right hand of God is because they knew what that meant. They knew that it meant judgment and that Stephen was saying that they were the enemies of God and that they had brought the wrath of God upon themselves by the rejection of the Son of Man. Acts seven fifty seven to 60 reads, Then they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran upon him with one accord and cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Overwhelmed with what he was seeing, Stephen exclaims, Look, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at God's right hand. And they knew that when he said Son of Man, he meant Jesus. And they knew that Stephen was saying that Jesus was the Messiah at God's right hand. And the rulers, very familiar with the Psalms, with the Lord rising in judgment and lifting himself in vengeance against his enemies, now believe Stephen to have spoken blasphemy. They can contain themselves no longer and they lose it. In their rage, they all cry out together with a loud voice out of the agony of their soul. At the same time, they all cover their ears because they did not want to hear any more of this blasphemy. And then with one mind, they all ran and rushed upon Stephen together. The Greek word for ran there was used to describe the mad rush of the demon-possessed swine that ran into the Sea of Galilee. It was also used of the frenzied mob that took two of Paul's companions and rushed into the theater of Ephesus. These, this high religious court in Israel, they cast aside any dignity and self-respect and they, they are turned into a chaotic, furious, wild, murderous lynch mob. And they do, even in this chaotic state, they still do a couple things according to the law of Moses. For the sin of blasphemy, the law commanded that the person should be taken outside the camp and stoned. Leviticus twenty four fourteen, Bring forth him that hath cursed without the camp, and let all that heard him lay their hands upon his head, and let all the congregation stone him. Thus verse 54 says and reads that they cast him out of the city and stoned him. But in John 18.31, when the Sanhedrin were attempting to have the Lord crucified, it reads, Pilate uh, said unto them, Take ye him and judge him according to your law. The Jews therefore said unto him, It is not lawful for us to put any man to death. It was not lawful for the Jews to carry out 
this execution. They did not have the authority to execute someone without Roman sanction. Thus, this was an illegal act. But this was an angry, out-of-control mob. They were not going to take the time to try to get the Romans to do it for them. So they drag Stephen out of the city and they stone him with their own hands. Another thing they did according to the law in verse 58 is that the witnesses threw the stones first at Stephen. Deuteronomy 17.7 commanded Israel, The hands of the witnesses shall be first upon him to put him to death, and afterwards the hands of all the people. These witnesses, it says, laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. The laying down of their clothes speaks to the viciousness of the stoning. They did not want their outer robes to encumber or hinder their throwing of the stones. In their rage, they wanted to throw those stones as hard as they possibly could at Stephen. Because a 90-mile-per-hour fastball is more effective than a 50-mile-per-hour one. And in their rage, they wanted to throw them as hard as possible. Remember that Stephen was a man full of the Holy Spirit. Their cruelty and their anger and their desire to throw those stones as hard as they possibly could shows their wicked heart of rebellion against God and their utter rejection of Jesus Christ. A young Pharisee of Tarsus takes a prominent part in this awful scene. The witnesses laid their robes at the feet of a young man named Saul. He kept watch over the clothes of Stephen's executioner. He was fully behind and agreed with Stephen being put to death. He was right up front, helping with gather the clothes and in the middle of the action. The mention of Saul is not without significance. Christ would later appear from heaven to Saul on the road to Damascus. It is Saul that Christ would call to be the apostle of the Gentiles and reveal the dispensation of the grace of God. Stephen stood before these Jewish rulers filled with the Holy Spirit. Chapter 6 says, With his face as it had been the face of an angel. But they would not listen to him. And right there and then, they resisted the Holy Spirit and they committed the unpardonable sin, which our Lord had so solemnly warned them of in Matthew 12. Israel had rejected God the Father in their past through their idolatry. They had rejected God the Son and demanded His crucifixion. Here they reject the ministry of God the Holy Spirit, and they kill Stephen with their own hands. The stoning of Stephen is the fall of Israel. This event should have triggered the day of the Lord and the beginning of Daniel's 70th week, the seven-year tribulation period. Christ standing at God's right hand showed the judgment that Christ was about to pour out on the world and on His enemies. But instead, God in His grace and mercy 
and according to his eternal purposes, delayed his judgment. He temporarily set Israel aside in her unbelief, temporarily suspended his prophetic program with her, and through Israel's fall, salvation has come to the Gentiles, or the nations, Romans 11, 11 says. The Lord Jesus Christ saved the chief of sinners, Saul, by his grace, and by Paul's conversion, God ushered in an age of grace. And that age continues to this very moment. And this age will come to a close with the rapture of the church. After the catching away of the body of Christ to heaven, God will pick up right where he left off with the judgment of the day of the Lord and the tribulation. And he will fulfill every single promise that he has made to Israel, including her glorious kingdom to be established on the earth. Stoning is a slow form of death. During his last moments, and as he was being stoned, Stephen responded to death as the Lord Jesus Christ did at the cross. Stephen called out to God and prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And it reminds you how Christ prayed at the cross, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And then Stephen kneeled down, and he prayed for his executioners and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And likewise, as he was crucified, the Lord Jesus had said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. When these men of Israel were at their worst, the man Stephen was at his very best. Even in death, as these wicked men were throwing these stones as hard as they could, his concern was for them and not having this sin put to their charge. Stephen had been, as Second Corinthians 3.18 says, changed into the same image of the Lord from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. And the same can be true of you and I. We can be changed into the image of Christ from glory to glory by the Spirit of the Lord. Having prayed, Stephen fell asleep, and he calmly slipped into the presence of his Lord and Savior. Stephen's body, not his soul, fell asleep. His body fell asleep to await the future resurrection, and the dead body will be awoken to life and life eternal. It's been said well for Stephen, the whole dreadful turmoil finished in a strange peace. He fell asleep. To Stephen there came the peace which comes to the man who has done the right thing, even if the right thing leads to his death. May we do the right thing. And like Stephen, take a stand for the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ and make him known to others out of a concern for their soul. Thank you again for tuning in to Transformed by Grace. We appreciate your prayer support and the financial gifts. The purpose and mission of the Berean Bible Society is to help you understand the whole counsel of the Word of God. 
For more information, visit our website at www.bereanbiblesociety.org or give us a call at 262-255-4750. Or if you prefer, write us at the Berean Bible Society, P.O. Box 756, Germantown, Wisconsin, 53022. Now until next time, may you be transformed by God's grace.